Welcome to the High Rise Podcast, presented by Headset, the leading data and analytics company for the cannabis industry. So how many parking tickets do you think you have to get before the city of New York decides to tow your vehicle? I have to imagine it's a lot because I've had quite a few myself. Have you? Have you had uh, half a million dollars in parking tickets? Probably not. No. Yeah. It's an uh, investment in real estate, not a parking Yeah. Ticket. So apparently, I mean, if you have 12 trucks covered in cannabis-related uh, imagery and you're parking anywhere you want in the city of New York uh, selling, you know, maybe CBD products, uh, you can rack up half a million dollars in parking tickets before they do anything. You know, obviously we're talking about the weed world vehicles that were all over New York. And I think they're in a lot of cities. I feel like I've seen them in other places, not just New York. But back in June, when they actually got uh, towed over parking, but more recently, they got towed for just, well, I, I think maybe still the parking, but uh, they seized them, you know, claiming, you know, no longer will you be able to buy illegal cannabis from the weed world bus. And they don't anticipate it opening for business anytime soon. So it sounds like they've like officially shot him down. So maybe the first time was for parking and this time was for weed, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is doing a great job of confusing the heck out of the consumer in New York. But uh, I've seen those trucks there for a long time. So I'm surprised it took this long. And I, you know, I'm sure that group was doing a cost benefit analysis of the sales versus the parking tickets, and it was uh, paying out to stay open and, and to continue to push the rules on that. But yeah, I saw that the, the tweet went out that they had impounded those vehicles and consider it a victory after having spent time in New York State recently from all, from all the way down in Manhattan and Brooklyn, all the way over to the very northwest corner where my little hometown is, I can say that uh, this is a drop in the ocean in terms of uh, trying to curtail the semi-illegal operators, however you want to talk about it, of what's going on in New York. But it was a it was a start, so we'll see what happens next. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about today. Let's talk about New York State. It's top of mind not only because of the trucks or your trip, but also some progress on like the adult use uh, dispensary licenses. This week, they announced that they will begin accepting applications for what they're calling the conditional adult use retail dispensary licenses starting August 25th. So in just about a week's time, they're going to start taking applications for about a month. And these applications are part of the seeding opportunity initiative and uh, really designed around social equity. And there's some some limitations with you know applying for these licenses. So to be eligible or qualifying, you have to have had a marijuana-related offense conviction that occurred prior to the passage of the MURDA, the Marijuana Regulation and Tax Act, on March 31st, 2021, or have had a parent, legal guardian, child, spouse, or dependent with pre-MURDA marijuana-related offense conviction in the state of New York, and have experienced owning and operating a qualifying business. Which I'm not sure. I didn't get that into the details of like what's a qualifying business. I wonder if running a, a fleet of weed trucks would count as a qualifying business. I'm thinking not, but <laughs> you never know. Um, I mean, unless they were selling, you know, ice cream out of those trucks. So maybe it was. Yeah, I saw some of the terms around the qualifying business. And when I saw this list of, you know, check boxes that must be met in order to qualify, 
I was like, I'm very interested to see these unicorns that they're going to pull out because, you know, even think about it this way. I mean, this is part of what everyone's been fighting for and fighting about is record expungement. So even if you've had a minor, quote unquote, nonviolent cannabis related offense, the ca- the capability to get a loan, to start a business, to have gone and gotten the work experience, to learn to start a business, all of those things just become so much harder. So I think it's going to prove to be a very limited pool of folks who actually do qualify for this, but maybe I'm wrong. And I hope that there is some real, you know, e- equity coming out of this because God knows we need to right the wrongs of the war on drugs and and not just do so in terms of criminal justice, but also an opportunity, you know, from a capitalistic standpoint to make it fair for people to have access to start and run businesses. So, I mean, I'm going to hope for the best, but I think they may have to find some ways to flex to, to increase access to this program. Yeah, definitely. I, I do wonder, even on timing, I don't know if it was in the announcement, but if they take the applications through September, if they approve people, people have to open up stores. I mean, are mm-hmm. we are we looking at 2023 at this point? Yeah, I mean, beginning of 2023 feels like a long shot for me at this point, just knowing. I mean, look at with New Jersey. I mean, they had operators who were open running medical dispensaries had gone through all the compliance checks, yada, 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 site checks, all of those things. And still they couldn't get open for over 18 months. And so, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the process of getting the candidates selected and then they have people have been sitting on real estate locations. They've got to get into those locations. They've got to get the CapEx to get them stood up and then they've got to have all the inspections. I mean, there's just so many things that are between here and there. And, you know, I know the MSOs do have uh, licenses there on a medical standpoint. So, you know, that's a path of least resistance to at least getting doors open. But I do know they wanted to prioritize this cohort. And I'm just not sure how logistically I, you know, I'm just not an optimist when it comes to government logistics on either the local or, you know, federal level. But history, well, history has shown like, it never goes well. Any new market that opens up, it always takes much longer, has many more hoops to jump through, a lot of challenges. So I'm the same. Uh, It's great to see that things are moving, but Mm -hmm. I I guess it's like a small win uh, given how how long it's been since murder passed and that, you know, we're finally here where they're finally accepting this first batch of applications, not even just broader broader applications. Mm -hmm. But it's something. And you did mention MSOs, and that's another reason why I wanted to talk about New York. Huge Mm -hmm. news from a company that you're close to, you know, and that we cover quite a bit with Ascend Wellness bailing out of the MedMen agreement to what take over their assets. Was that the original plan? They were going to basically go into the New York assets that MedMen had for medical or still has for medical Mm -hmm. and, and take those on. And I remember. It wasn't long ago that there was a, a pricing issue where MedMen wanted more money for the assets. Ascend came to some agreement. Was it another $18 million on top of the original deal? Something like that. And fast forward to this week where Ascend uh, is out. Abner Curtin, CEO, told investors during earnings that due to concerns about the status of MedMen New York's assets, which have deteriorated materially since December 31st, Ascend is no longer moving forward with the transaction. So huge news. I mean, huge news for something that has been in the news for so long. I feel like we've been hearing about the challenges with this deal even coming together. 
And then to get to this point is a crazy surprise, frankly, you know, from the outside, right? Uh, maybe it wouldn't be a surprise if I had seen the amendments assets that had been deteriorating. Yeah, I mean, this is all just part of this is why a deal is never done until it's done, because there's so many steps along the way. And the machinations of what go on inside of MedMen are a mystery to me. But all I can say is that, you know, when you set a price and try to <laughs> first you set a price and, and agree to it, and then you march towards closing on that. But along the way, you're doing diligence, digging in on the assets that you're that you've agreed to purchase under this understanding that they're in a certain condition. And as you know, and, and as you just articulated, there was a lot of back and forth, actually, even about the deal being consummated at the pricing that that it could get done at. And, you know, within that time frame, you know, I, apparently I, I haven't been on the sites, but apparently the assets have deteriorated and and that was explicitly not a part of the deal. The deal was to keep the assets and to maintain them and to make sure that they were in the shape that we could continue to move forward as a business. So, you know, when you're taking into consideration pricing, you have to be very sensitive around what the quality of the assets are. So, yeah, this this was a tough one because, you know, Ascend was really excited about it. And I think just right there and then the cross-section of what's happening in New York, it, you couldn't justify it from a fiduciary standpoint. So there we have it. There we have it. So when I think about, you know, the assets that they have, I mean, they have the retail locations, they have the grow mm -hmm. facility. I have to imagine that this has to be primarily the grow facility or, you know, I don't know, paint chipping on the walls of the retail stores. I'm not sure what, what, uh, it's just a mess in the back storeroom or something, but, uh, I feel like the grow is probably where this is the biggest problem, right? Like if, if they're just not producing at the level that they were before or had challenges, I know, you know, I'm certainly no grower, but I've heard plenty of stories about, you know, challenges of, of grow facilities and keeping them, you know, really, really clean and making sure that everything keeps, keeps going with no contaminants or anything like that. And so hard to say, uh, but from the outside, it does seem like that would be the case more than like the retail storefronts. Yeah, I think that the the things that tend to be more costly are on those back ends, like cosmetic stuff you can keep up with and or jump in and, and refresh. But yeah, when it's something that impacts the actual ops of the business, that changes the entire complexion of the transaction. So very difficult, difficult stuff. I mean, people talk a lot about M&A. It is a really difficult endeavor and it can sink or swim entire businesses either way. You know, I've had friends who've like Oracle has tried to buy their business. They went all the way down to the finish line and then Oracle bailed and they were out of cash. I mean, these things happen all the time. M&A is a risky endeavor, but it can pay dividends. So you just have to, you know, think about it carefully. And and one of the things I've learned in, in this industry with M&A is like, you're never too far along with something. If it's just starting to come apart, you got to rip it off and keep going and, and look for something that's a better fit because it you you just can't get too far. It's the same thing as in investing. If you get all the way down on the diligence, it it stinks to break up at that point. But you've got to do the you've got to do the deed, so to speak, and keep moving with other things. Yeah, and it seems like uh, with the seventy million of of cash now that Ascent has, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Like we were just talking this week about Massachusetts needs more stores, and you know Ascend is in is in mass markets like that. So I'm sure they could put that money to good work. And I'm sure that, you know, MedMen will find someone in New York that wants this should they want to continue. It just seems like 
you know, it's going to be a, a popular market. It's just such a headline grabbing market, as messy as it is today. But yeah, I mean, you were there. You know, I'm sitting here in Seattle. Couldn't be any further away. I was there last summer, and you know, the the weed was in the air, so to speak. Right? It legalized. It was everywhere. People consuming everywhere. You know, a few spots you kind of noticed that uh, you know had kind of a dispensary vibe. But I think it's proliferated quite a bit more. You know, in just that year. So what was it, what was it like being on the ground? I mean, you you obviously were not only in New York City, but you were in New York, you know New York State broadly. What does it look like there today? Yeah, well, you know, being the weed lady that rolled into town, all my friends couldn't wait to tell me about how they have legal weed and that they were able to buy <laughs> California products right in the store on the corner of their street. California products. Great. California products. And, you know, it's like pretty big brands like the Stizzies of the world and other ones. That was the one that was actually the most prominently displayed in multiple doors that I physically saw. And then you go into, uh, you know, Washington Square Park, my old stomping grounds from NYU master's program and saw, you know, tables with bags of weed. I mean, for what it's worth, these, the nugs in these bags did not look like high quality. This wasn't our, you know, beautiful crystals and, you know, the, the weed porn that we're so adjusted to in our, in our legal markets. But, um, you know, so they're, they're sitting out there right there, you know, mix of families walking by. I just couldn't believe it. And then, you know, traveled across the state to my hometown, which is in, it's north of Buffalo, which is not yet Canada, if you can believe that. <laughs> but I look across the river to Canada. Between the Buffalo airport and my tiny little hometown, I went by multiple billboards promoting. So I live in an area that's surrounded by sovereign nation land. And I went to school with several um, folks from from that land, like the Seneca Nation and the Iroquois Nation. And it was just really, and we used to get our gas there because it's cheaper on cheaper there and also rolling papers and different things like that. But I was shocked to see on the side of the road, one of my old favorite, you know, gas and paper places, uh, Smoke and Joe's was promoting that they have cannabis and also gas uh, at very reasonable prices in this inflationary <laughs> time. So I was like, well, that's a pretty, it's the old gas and grass thing. But, uh, you know, and then, I mean, I think my favorite one that my friend declared that he had shopped at, and I did look it up, is uh, Smokehontas. Um, so, you know, I'm happy for the sovereign nations that they're capitalizing on this and and going for it. So there's that. But, you know, the other thing was just the folks from, like, I, I didn't know if this was just very specific to New York City area and the boroughs around New York. But then my friends who live in Buffalo told me the same things. Like, you can buy products and they have the California stickers on them right in the, like, the bodegas. They don't call them bodegas in, in Buffalo because we have a funny way to of talking there, but like, you know, like the corner stores. So it's just one of those things. I think it's like primarily vape shops. And and again, of course, I know we talked about Delta eight last week. There was definitely a lot of confusion around what is Delta eight and just thinking that that's a, just the same thing as our legal regulated cannabis. It's just a really interesting market and in what it's going through right now. And, and just going back all the way to at the beginning of what we were just talking about at the beginning of this episode, like impounding a bunch of trucks that are called weed world is not, it's a real drop in the ocean in terms of trying to pull this. It does remind me of California, like before the California market went legal 
there, they said there were 54,000 operating entities in California in our wow. legal, our, our legal but gray market that we had as it transitioned from mass medical into an adult use market. And I always said it was going to be like the equivalency of shoving an elephant through a keyhole, like trying to corral and re-educate the population about what it means to shop in illegal and regulated stores is not going to be an easy effort at all. So I don't know, New York to me, it's like I keep thinking of, you know, well-laid plans of mice and men often fall by the wayside. And that's, that's what I'm kind of seeing here. I just hope they can fix it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, uh, towing the trucks is, yeah, you're right, a drop in the bucket and a long way to go. I'm optimistic, but wouldn't be surprised if it's a bit of a mess for a long time there. If Smokin' Joe's, you know, does all right, you know, you can always uh, grab some Medmen licenses there in, uh, in New York City. Thanks for listening to the High Rise Podcast, presented by Headset. For more information on Headset, visit headset.io.